Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. I'm Miri Eisen, sitting in for Jonathan Hessen. As we send 2022 into its time capsule for future generations and perhaps aliens from outer space to look up, let's try to recap the most important events, the trends, and the figures of this year. With us to discuss this are Colonel in Reserves Ruven Ben Shalom, TV7 Powers and Play panelist, and a cross-cultural strategist, and also an associate at ICT Reichland University. Welcome. Iran Etzion, former deputy head of the National Security Council. Welcome, Iran. Thank you. And of course, our in-house analyst, Amir Oren. Amir, set us off on this journey of putting 2022 into a time capsule. So Jonathan, no, Miri, ah. thank you very much. Um, let's look inward first, before we expand our look to the uh, neighboring peoples and countries. Like, let's look at Israel. So obviously, the most important event was the success of the opposition to topple the incumbent government. This happened last uh, July, June, July, and eventually we held our elections on November the 1st, and it took two months for the uh, supposedly victor, um, Benjamin Netanyahu, to um, form his uh, government, which, as we speak, uh, is still in the process. Um, of course, we have to judge this incoming government by its deeds. This is what the Biden administration has been saying. We all know regarding the campaign pledges, the platforms, the various coalition partners, but let's look and see. However, it is certain that while the former government, first headed by Nafali Bennett and then by Yair Lapid, did not deviate in any extreme way from its predecessor, headed by Netanyahu, nevertheless, its compass uh, pointed elsewhere. And this uh, new government uh, is at least promising or threatening, depending on your uh, perspective, to change things uh, very, very differently. So you're taking the biggest event of 2022 being the eventual change of government in Israel. In its own way, it would be to compare two vastly different governments in what the first did in the first half of the year and what the second one has not yet really come to be to actually impact. With one caveat, and uh, we have here veterans of the Israeli Defense Forces and the Israeli Foreign Policy and National Security Establishment. Usually it is the professionals recommending various options with the political echelon choosing between them, among them, and um, again, usually uh, focusing on the conservative one, not, not the extreme one on the right, the extreme one on the left, by, but the middle of the way. It is not certain 
that the new government will behave in this fashion. So I'm going to take this first subject that you said, which is the change of government in general inside Israel. I'm going to start first on that sense a little bit with the military and then go on into the broader sense. When we look at Israel of 2022 at the end of this year, starting with what Amir started us off with, this big change of government, would you say that in this year you saw, in the, as we're looking at the summary of this year, a change in the former government that is going to be changed right now? Did they have a different security or international policy compared to what we saw before? Was 2022 different from former government policies that we had? I think Israeli political rhetoric usually stresses as if we have this polarized view of the world, right? We have the right and the left, and as if we differ in everything. One side wants peace, and the other one, what do they want? War. Uh, one side wants to give back the territories, the other one wants to hold on to them, when in practice, most of us view the world in the same way. We have threats, we have challenges. Most of Israeli policy is containment, managing the conflict, managing our enemies, monitoring the situation. And even when we have rivals or, or bitter enemies like Hamas, then the rhetoric of politicians will be, I don't know, we, we're going to get them, right? As soon as we're elected, 48 hours, there's no more Hamas. Then you understand the complexity. So in general, I see no difference. We do have now our, I would say, right-wing extremist government that also their rhetoric is very powerful, theoretically could trigger problems. But as far as what we've seen so far, there's no reason to think that Israel will suddenly change its basic policies of carefully monitoring and containing the situation. So I'm looking back at 2022 in that sense, and I think as we look about this Iran right now, and as I think about what we looked at in 2022, the different events that were there, I'm not going to compare 2022 to 2021, but it's kind of something I want to do just to give us a sense of the things that were different in 2022 domestically within Israel. We had um, a sort of military campaign in 2022 in the summer, three short days. We had a different one in 2021, a few weeks long. Um, we've had diplomatic ties and expanding. Could you take us a little bit on the things that expanded perhaps in 2022 in Israel, in our arena, not just the wars in that sense, but things that really changed during 2022 in the expansion of Israel's ties. But first, we're here in our arena here. Well, first of all, I do agree that the differences between the uh, outgoing government and the incoming government on foreign policy and uh, security doctrines are marginal. Uh, and that's because multiple elements within the outgoing government are actually, in terms of their own self-definition and in terms of their history and their political making, if you will, are rightists. You know, what is Naftali Bennett? He's a, he, he's a hard right, even. Uh, what is Lieberman? He's a hard right. What is Lapid? Soft right. It's amazing so, how we see those things in mm -hmm. perspective differently with the incoming and outgoing, but absolutely. Yeah, there was, there was, essentially, there wasn't a lot of difference. Yes, there was a difference in style. Yes, of course, in terms of the real self-perceived interests of the leadership. Netanyahu is in a league of his own because of his legal troubles and because of his history and, uh, you know, the, the people and parties that he surrounds himself with. And this is essentially the, the incoming government that, that we're seeing. But in terms of real policy issues, not on Iran, uh, with the caveat of, okay, we're not going to uh, work behind the back or stab the Americans in the, in, in the back or in the face like Netanyahu did on Iran, but otherwise there was no difference. On the Palestinian issue, the coalition agreement said, you know, we're not going to touch this issue. We're going to freeze the status quo as if that's at all possible. 
So on the two major issues, there was no perceived difference. And on the expansion of ties that you were referring to, you know, what is more obvious than that? Who, who can be against normalization with uh, Saudi Arabia or the UAE or Qatar or whatnot? So um, there is a certain amount of camouflage that's going on, uh, as if it is possible to uh, either not discuss or simply continue plowing along the same lines. And, uh, you know, things will, will be better and uh, our policy will succeed. But we'll have a chance to analyze it probably in, the, in, the, in, the, in this discussion. But uh, reality doesn't really abide by the uh, wills and the whims of Israeli politicians. So here we are at the end of 2022, Amir, and it's so fascinating that all three of you seem to kind of agree, that's what I'm hearing here, that 2022 was kind of similar to 2021, even though we had a vastly different government, that perhaps the future may or may not be similar again. So I'm going to push back and go, okay, so what was different in 2022? If nothing was different domestically, even though we have this big change, where would you see things that are very impacting that are going to also impact us um, looking into the future? Well, the credo of uh, this uh, uh, outgoing government was the status quo. Um, they, they tried to allay the fears of whoever did not um, back them, especially from the right, by saying, don't worry, we will not pursue peace with the Palestinians. We will not do, accentuating the negative, we will not do this, we will not do that. So um, you had your concerns, especially because, as Iran mentioned, people like Lieberman and Bennett joined with um, some parties uh, left of them, uh, unthinkably so, uh, only a couple of years ago, that they will go into coalition with them. Of course, the reason being that they were all anti-Netanyahu. And the funny thing is that during the uh, election campaign, Netanyahu's main pledge was to form a government which will be, quote-unquote, fully right-wing and stable for four years. There is a contradiction there, because if it is going to be based on religious, orthodox, right-wing elements, he is going to be beholden to them. And if he is, and if there is an international crisis, it will not be stable. What he has been trying to do ever since the elections is to reassure the Americans, the Saudis, and others that he is going to have both hands on the wheel, that his uh, coalition partners much to the right of him and uh, expressing uh, extremist views will be held in check. And what he has been saying is that, don't worry, you know me. I've been in power for 15 years already. Count on me. So we have Netanyahu, and that seems to be the stable element in its own way, with all of those caveats that you put into there. I want to zoom out again. I don't think in that sense that when we look at 2022, it's necessarily just about Netanyahu and that changing government. Let's bring in two additional aspects that we all are aware of throughout this year. The one is, of course, Russia against Ukraine and how that impacts in the sense when we look at the summary of 2022 and we want to take it from the outside in. This isn't about Russia and Ukraine, though we could talk about that extensively. It's really about the impact of that big event on 2022 on our arena. Iran, I'm going to start with you first. Diplomatically, just looking at this, because there's a war going on. There are enormous casualties. There's an enormous horrific event going on. 
and I want to bring it into our arena. How has that enormous change of 2022 impacted already in 2022 the arena that we live in, the area around us? Well, first, there is this somewhat amorphic issue, which I think is extremely important and is uh, underestimated, at least in the Israeli public discourse, which is the global realignment of the, of the global blocs. Can you and, like, and give us more what that and means? And Israel's position in that respect. We're used to thinking about ourselves as you know, a liberal democracy in a hostile area, uh, allied with the US and the West, against the so-called George Bush uh, formalization of uh, the axis of evil, uh, Iran, North Korea, and so on. Um, and this has now changed because, uh, at least from the perspective of our so-called allies, the Americans and the Europeans, um, there is a new, a completely new game going on with, obviously, war in the center, in, in the heart of Europe and Russia becoming an aggressor. It was suspected to be an aggressor. Yes, it was never described as a, as a close ally or anything like that, but obviously it, it made a tremendous change. And the expectation was and still is that Israel will um, align itself completely and fully with the U.S. and the West. And Israel refused to do that. And in for, that sense, that is a big change in Israeli policy after many, many yes, years. Yes, of course, but, but it's being denied, uh, as, as we all understand, because it's inconvenient. So uh, if you ask the policymakers, the outgoing government, and again, there's no difference between the outgoing and the incoming government, they will tell you, of course, we're aligned with the U.S., we're aligned with the West, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to uh, actual deeds and uh, actually putting your, uh, your deeds where your mouth is, where your, where your words are, Israel is reluctant to do that. We're not assisting the Ukrainians. We are harboring Russian oligarchs. No, but we're we are assisting. I mean, I don't want not, to go that hard. Not in a significant way. Not in any way. Civil... Not in any way resembling what the Ukraine expects, and not what the Americans and the Europeans would expect us to do. So, and and I I would say what we should expect ourselves to do. Okay. So that's that's uh, the the first impact. The second that that is being perhaps even over-discussed in, in Israeli media is the realliance or the deepening of the alliance between uh, Iran and Russia. It's very convenient for us to fall back on Iran and to see an opportunity here. Yes, now we can prove to the world that Iran and Russia are working together as if this was not the case always since uh, anybody, anybody can remember. The thing is that now they are assisting in ways that are more, uh, shall we say, visible to our uh, European, mostly to our European uh, uh, allies and friends. And uh, Iran has now become more of a direct threat on them in their own perception. And that is an opportunity from an Israeli perspective, but I don't think it's as large and strategic as uh, the government is trying to portray it. When I listen to what you said, Iran, mm -hmm. as I take it over to you, Ruven, I mean, I'm sitting with myself even, I'm, I'm almost uncomfortable in that sense of your belittling Iran, almost that aspect of the Russia-Iran. But in general, there's no question there was a big change. And I wonder in that sense, as we look back at 2022 and we think to ourselves of Israelis, of there wasn't really that drastic of a domestic change, even though it seems so, that the policies don't seem to be that different between these different governments, if we kind of summarize 2022, in this enormous event of Russia-Ukraine, um, what you're saying here in that sense has impacted on the side the Israeli policy. And I'm wondering in that sense, Wolven, if you see it in that same way, both the Russian aspect, the Iranian aspect, and also bring in perhaps the Chinese or Indian, you know, broadening out on how this impacts around. So I'll try to tie it all in. I think in the beginning, 
it was a bit misleading, as if like oh, nothing really dramatic happened in 2022. But even in Israel, of course, things happened. A lot of it is our understanding of the reality, the complexity, where it can go. Even when we take uh, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, can it be sustained forever? I think in 2022, we had this realization maybe where it's going, and that's a big difference. Also, the war between Russia and Ukraine is something that it's not just another clash, another war. Remember, this, this clash is going on for eight years, but what happened this year woke us up to the idea that the world as we knew it has changed. Warfare has changed. Technology and its impact on war has changed. And all of that Alliance has changed. So I think that is the big issue of 2022, our realization that reality is not as we knew it. I, do, I wouldn't go as far as Iran said as Israel's shifting alliances. We still are strategically aligned with the United States. But here what happens in 22 is Israel, in a way, plays the game as other neighbors do, as Saudi Arabia does and Egypt, understanding the players. For us, it's saying we are aligned with the United States, yet we are a tiny country. We have all these powers here. As Netanyahu says, Russia is a big power, a, maybe even a bully here in Syria. We have to look out for our interests. We have to be careful. We're not strategically aligned with them, but we will talk to them, okay? We will work with them. What an amazing difference in that sense. And I'm going to bring Amir, you know, it's like fascinating as you brought up the different things. And I want to focus on one event, which I think is a dramatic event of 2022. And that is the first time that Israel signed an economic agreement. I'm not talking about the not peace treaty of once upon a time, an economic agreement with a country that we are in a state of war with officially, and that's the Israeli-Lebanese economic agreement over the maritime border. And I want us to think, I'd love us to think in that sense, looking at 2022, is this really a dramatic event? Is it something that was different this year? So uh, by way of evading your question... Uh, <laughs> Meaning asking a different one, let right? Me, let me broaden the perspective uh, as uh, the short history of. Um, obviously, the post-9-11 era um, started in uh, when 2021 turned into 2022. Uh, there were um, cartoons in the uh, American newspapers, in the golden age of newspapers. Now, of course, uh, hardly anyone reads the... At Our least, generation. At, at least the print edition. Uh, but there was usually either on December the 31st, on January the 1st, there were these cartoons of an old man uh, leaning on his cane. This is the outgoing year. And the new baby brought, being brought in. This is uh, the new year, old, old drawings... Many American households uh, remember that. In 2021, we ended the era of post-9-11 with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And when you look back over these two decades, first you had the involvement in Afghanistan and Iraq. Then you had ISIS, uh, the Islamic State, uh, and the Arab Spring. These two events brought about the Russian infiltration of Syria in order to help Assad. And obviously, there is now this reality of Russians, the Russian military in Syria, which Israel, Israel has to contend with. But this also impacted, and I'm getting to your question, um, this impacted Hezbollah and in Lebanon and the whole calculus of what happens. Of course, Lebanon has uh, uh, disintegrated um, for several reasons. And this uh, agreement, uh, which you uh, recall, 
speaks, first of all, to the new economic realities, resources in the Mediterranean, uh, energy security, and the fact that even enemies learn how to coexist or cohabit. And um, as mentioned earlier, Hezbollah is now seen as a fairly conservative element, or at least better than chaos and anarchy in Lebanon. Because yes. Israel, Israel uh, must analyze the situation on its northern border as being composed of the Iranian proxies in Syria, of the Syrian state, which is no longer there, and of Lebanon under Hezbollah, which is not really an Iranian proxy, but of course it coordinates uh, with Tehran. If you take all of that together with American mediation and commercial interests, it is not as if um, uh, foreign companies, foreign corporations, Chevron, Total, or what have you, will come into an unstable region. Insurance companies will not uh, uh, take their contracts. So, so the realization that it's in everybody's interest brought about disagreement. Which perhaps in its own way brings us also to a smaller event, even though it was significant for us, which is when Hamas did not participate this summer for the first time in that sense in a three-day mini-war. Second time. 2021 Second time, too. 2021. But in 2021, they were they were involved. They weren't not involved. In the three days of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, they were what you called like Hezbollah in Lebanon. They were almost the conservative element, the one that was trying to bring about something quiet. And that is a change to a certain degree. Or perhaps you disagree with the way that I'm presenting that right no. now as I'm looking at Reuven right now. And I'll say, how would you look at that event? Is Hamas suddenly going to become the responsible um, authority inside the Gaza Strip, something that they have not been in the 15 years since they took over the Gaza Strip? Interesting, because I think uh, maybe the way you put the question is it's if Hamas changed. Hamas had a calculation. Remember that a lot of what Israel did brought it to power, sustained it in power. Remember all the... Uh, criticisms toward Netanyahu of enabling millions of dollars in suitcases going to Hamas. You mean the Qatari suitcases? Yes. We talk so, about Qatar in different ways So here. you had the opposition at the time saying, you, Netanyahu, that the strong right wing that, that, that vowed to defeat them, you're giving them dollars. But also Netanyahu understands that they are, in fact, the power there. Stability is the name of the game, and you want stability with a faction in power. Also, this issue of their involvement, remember that Israel had a very interesting policy that anytime something happened, even if it was some rogue faction firing one rocket, Israel would attack Hamas. Our rhetoric would be Hamas is responsible and we are retaliating towards Hamas. That, that was Israel, very square-like uh, right, methodology. Here, in a way, also, we changed. It was good for also for us to say, no, this is only Islamic Jihad. Our fight is only with them. It was easy for everybody. So I'm going to not push back in that sense, but bringing also Iran back in, remember in the sense that this year also has had one big change in addition to Hamas sitting by, which is the growth of a youth, I'll call it that TikTok angry youth that we're seeing in the West Bank. And what that brings also as a challenge to Israel, is this something new or do you see this as more of the same? Well, the Palestinian arena needs a very deep discussion and analysis, more than just an answer to one question. If I try to recap it, I would say that we are uh, uh, on borrowed time. We have been on borrowed time for a long time, but uh, you know, it's the, the gap is narrowing. 2022 and, makes and it even some, closer. And at some point in the near future, uh, the system will break. Uh, the entire apparatus 
of the Oslo Accords and the Palestinian Authority and the security cooperation and all of that will collapse in one or shape or form. Have and, you seen and that change in 2022? And everything that we're seeing now is just a prelude to that. And one of those uh, notes in the prelude is what, what you are referring to. Because Could you of, add because some? Obviously, okay. Because obviously the, the Palestinian youth uh, look at uh, life around them. And as much as they're interested in, in, in politics and, you know, obviously in their own future and the future of the Palestinian people and so on. Uh, and they used to be offered two distinct um, strategies. One was the so-called tahadiyya, the negotiations with Israel towards a two-state solution. And that's, for all practical purposes, certainly in their view, com- completely dead and gone. And the other was the, uh, uh, the uh, resistance, the armed resistance of, uh, of Hamas and Islamic Jihad. And that, surprisingly or not, is also, has not also demonstrated success in recent years. So they find themselves in, uh, in a bewilderment. Okay, what, what is it? Which, which party, which leader, which avenue leads to a better future for us? Um, and uh, a lot of them are saying, you know, essentially there is no such avenue. Uh, and that's, I think, the main motivation behind those incidents that we saw. So interestingly and, uh, enough, the, I'm hearing... the challenge is going to be to carve a new avenue. Obviously, the, up, the incoming Israeli government is not up for the job. The outgoing Israeli government was not also up, up for the job. Um, and uh, Israel essentially chose to relinquish the Palestinian future and its own future in that sense, because obviously there are a lot of ties between those two, those two futures, to relinquish it to... Uh, externalities. Well, you know, Mary, our uh, relative uh, advantage here is that we speak in Jerusalem and we can always um, uh, fall back on the Bible. The the Bible uh, spoke about generations. Um, This one beget that one and all of that. And there is something to it. And uh, the biblical span is 20 years uh, per generation. In the year 2002, we had Operations Defensive Shield. You were there, you were there, you were there. Um, and this was considered the seminal event of, of the time uh, regarding Israel's fight against terrorism, but also a, a new start for diplomacy because of President Bush and the two-state uh, solution. Now, 20 years have passed. A new generation has arisen in Palestine, these uh, youth uh, do not remember the uh, lessons or trauma of defensive shield. And even Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, is now 18 years in power. Arafat died in November of 2004. Oh my goodness. So, so yes, time flies. <laughs> and um, and uh, Abbas will one day, soon or not, and his reign, and then we are in for chaos, maybe. So interestingly enough, when we bring about the end of 2022, what I'm hearing on the one hand is similarities, continuity, events that impacted in different ways, but at the end of the day, nothing specific that really comes out except for the bigger events worldwide that have obviously impacted us. This is all the time that we have today. I want to thank our panelists, Ruven Ben Shalom, Eran Etzion, and our in-house analyst, Amir Oren. Thank you and Shalom from Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.